Their days are like grass. They flourish like the flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, obedient to his spoken word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers that do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Today, we're going to just briefly go over some thoughts from Psalm 103. We're going to break it down in the four sections which have been read for you already this morning. Thank you to all who read. I won't be reading it again. As Jake told you, there's a copy of it in your bulletin. Or, of course, you may, uh, which you can take notes on and you can uh, follow along also, of course, in your Bible. When I read about the various sections, the reference will be up on the screen. I came to Christ when I was 12 and had a strong youth group for all of my junior high and high school. Those students and leaders helped to form my heart in Christ, and I am profoundly grateful for that time in my life, which still informs me today. Each summer, we would go to a camp in the mountains near Nevada City, where this was the view from the main room. In one afternoon session, we had a communion service, and the speaker had given a word, and we were all in a time of quiet while the music was playing behind us. And all of us, of course, because we were in junior high and high school, were sitting on the floor looking out over his creation. And I happened to glance over at my youth pastor, and there were tears streaming down his face. Now, being young, I couldn't quite get why he would be crying. I remember thinking, man, he must be really sorry for something. Now I understand more. I understand how in communion before our holy God, we weep for the darkness of the world. We lament the cruelty of humanity. We come before a perfect God and we are so aware of our own brokenness. We think of Jesus on the cross and remember the words of the hymn that speak of how love and sorrow flow mingled down We sob sometimes with relief for how God has freed us from our pain. Later in my tactless 14-year-old way, I asked him why he was crying. Part of me wanted to let him have his privacy, but I was so curious. And being the good youth pastor that he was, he answered me with seriousness and said, I was just so overwhelmed in that moment with gratitude for Jesus, for his grace, for his presence Now, if my 14-year-old self didn't understand crying about sin, I sure as heck didn't understand weeping with gratitude. Psalm 103 is a psalm of David looking back with humility over his life. Perhaps with tears remembering sin, but also perhaps with tears of gratitude for the steadfastness of the Lord. And as we read it, we see him recounting how God has been a faithful deliverer protector, savior, friend, 
Fittingly, it is believed that David wrote these words in the later years of his life. Maybe because it isn't until we're older that we have a deeper sense of how God's presence has been a gift to us in all that we have seen and known. We have spent more time studying his promises and see how he reveals himself to the world. There's no evidence that this psalm was written for liturgical purpose to be sung in worship. But after it was penned, of course, it could have been used in numerous ways by the faithful like we are using it today. As with all the psalms, there is a richness that pours out the truth of God while also allowing us to resonate with the feelings of the writer. This is poetry full of beautiful images. It presents as a beautiful, gentle piece, but it actually is one of great power. As we go over it, please notice that there is no request here of God for anything. It is pure thanksgiving as David tenderly recounts God and his majestic actions in the world. It is gratitude born of experience. And we see how David opens the psalm with words that we have sung this morning. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We could begin each day with these words glorifying God and also being reminded how fortunate we are to know him. In your uh, newsletter this week, I put how Charles Spurgeon, who, uh, whose exposition of the Psalms is a treasure for the church, said that there is too much in this psalm for a thousand pens to write. It is one of those all-comprehensive scriptures, which is a Bible in itself, and it might alone suffice to be the hymn book of the church. So let us begin with verses 1 through 5. To bless the Lord is to acknowledge that he alone is the greatest and best of all. Only he is worthy of our highest adoration. To bless him is to proclaim with a strong, loud voice how we adore him. There is nothing more important that we do in our days than to praise God. Nothing. And there is nothing that brings more fullness to our souls than to give him the highest honor. This is how he has created us, to know him and love him. There is a sense of the, in these uh, first five verses of more than remembering. It is though David is telling himself and those who come after him, do not forget. Do not forget what God has done When we tell someone not to forget something, it is because it is weighty. It has urgency. And what are we not to forget, he says? His benefits. How he forgives our sin and heals all of our diseases. That he redeems us from the pit and crowns us constantly with love and mercy. David knows these things from the history of his people as well as from his own personal contact with the living God. We ourselves always see God's hand at work in the world as well as in our own lives. David describes God's care as complete here. He uses the word all four times. We cannot use enough intensifiers when talking about the Lord. There's a contrast here between a person's soul that is in the lowest dungeon only to soar like an eagle when they are renewed in him. And that is an astounding picture. God frees us and redeems us from all the lowest places we find ourselves in, setting us free to fly. 
So because of this, we bless him, we honor him and praise him and stand in awe of a God who can bring miraculous transformation to anyone. No one is beyond his grasp. As we transition to the second section, verses 6 through 14, we see that God's ways are perfect. His nature is the purest of love. Anything less than his love expressed in the world needs his touch and redemption. I want to say that again. Anything less than his love expressed in the world needs his touch and redemption. When his perfect love is compromised in our fallen world, God works to bring help to those who are hurt, to those who are oppressed, to those who are the victims of the awful things we as humans do to one another. He vindicates the powerless and brings justice, sometimes miraculously, often through the hands of his people. He sees all of our sin. And because of it, he is angry and there will be judgment, but we are not punished as we should be, says David. God is merciful and gracious. His love is greater than all of the wrong in the world. We see this on the cross. So stop and imagine the love of God being greater than all of the evil from every time and place known to humanity. This is an incredible truth we should meditate on every time we hear bad news. And there's a lot of it. God's love is greater and there's more of it. Don't ever forget that. In these verses, we read a well-known saying that is hard for us to imagine when we have broken our covenant with him. His love for us is as far as the heavens are above the earth. You can't come to the end of it. And because of this, he does not deal with us according to what we deserve. It says he forgives us as far as the east is from the west. In his compassion, he remembers our sin no more. You can measure the poles from north to south, but you can't ever measure how far the east is from the west. It just keeps going. So if he has forgotten your sin, you should also. Do not hold on to sin that has already been forgiven in your life. Whom the Lord sets free is free indeed. That gives us another contrast here. Although there is a vastness to God's love and forgiveness, there is also such a closeness with him. An intimacy. We are his children and he has compassion for us. He knows we are frail because he made us. And parents would rather take on the suffering themselves for their kids than for them to be in pain. We have a God who has done that, who wants to help us, who wants us to live in his strength and power. The third section, verses 15 through 18, shows the fleeting nature of life. We don't necessarily like to think of ourselves as grass. Or as a flower that the wind can just take away, leaving a hole in the space where it was. But we understand this hard truth about life. The suddenness of someone dying is so surprising and feels cruel to us. David is reminding us how this is our reality. But he tells us to focus on God's love. How God's love in the middle of that reality never ends. And that as we pass from this world to the next, 
he continues to keep his covenant love with us. This is resurrection language. David is saying those who trust God will live forever with him. This is hope, not just for the author, but also for his children's children. Because God stays the same and makes himself known, each generation can know him. This is a comfort that should give us peace. Who will take care of those who come after us? It is never up to us alone. We have hope in the God who is always present. Here is another contrast between the flower that blows away and the everlasting, living, vibrant God. When we are part of his life, we become part of his eternity. While we don't forget his acts in the past, we always look forward to an amazing future with him. Lastly, verses 19 through 22 are a fitting way to end this psalm. The Lord is the king over all, in all the heavenly realms and over the entire earth. David is telling the angels, bless his name. He is telling all the hosts, perhaps the heavenly stars and the planets, to bless his name. He is reminding everything that the Lord has created to bless his name. God rules over everything we can see and everything we cannot. The universe is vast and and fairly mysterious to us. Nothing is hidden from him. Everything that he created serves him and sings to him. We are but a small part. David understands that and adds his voice to the chorus of all of the universe singing. And then he closes where he began, telling his own soul to bless the Lord The Lord has redeemed everything he has created and is coming back soon to finish. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I invite you to take a few minutes in quiet as you contemplate what is in your soul this morning. What is it that you most need to not forget about God? How has his spirit spoken to you? So often in this season of thankfulness, we focus on what we have been given, and that is good and right. But we always must keep the one who is the giver at the center of our praise. He is the one we must bless, because he has blessed us so much. Take a few minutes before the Lord. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.